Please join us today in our prayer of illumination. Our most gracious Father, bless us today with the ability to listen and understand your word and to take that practice of your teachings into our everyday lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The first reading today is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who had hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced and aged. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of, of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. This is the word of the Lord. So what a long, strange trip it has been, said that great theologian Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. I'm not sure about you, but 2020 has not been really the year that I expected way back in 2019. It has been the strangest, craziest, saddest year for me in quite some time, maybe ever, and the scary thing is it's only halfway over. Our current state of affairs has at times seemed completely upside down and moving backwards instead of forwards. I have witnessed some of the lowest forms of human conduct and decency, and I have seen and heard some of humanity's best. Yet even during this tumultuous time, the world around us, God's creation, God's glorious creation, continues to move and transition and cycle of seasons. Now maybe many of you, like me, way back when in March or April, were looking down the calendar and just hoping that summer would one day get here. And it's finally here. Yet the season of summer also offers its own challenges. You see, summer is normally a time of transition for many people. New schools maybe to think about, new cities to explore, maybe a new house or a new beginning. For some, it is a new job. Or maybe for others, it's their first real job. We celebrated last week our graduates here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, those who graduated from high school and from college. How awesome it was to see those young people and what future had for them and the places that they will go, but also what a strange trip it has been. I know I have one of those seniors in my house, and I know what that's been like. So in this time of reflection on transitions during a pandemic and what it means to possibly begin a new direction in life, 
not just as a means to an end, not just for the sake of change, but as a vocation, a calling to God to do God's work while we work. So let's think for a moment about work, about God's work in the world. To do this, I want to go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. Now what does that mean to you? What do you think paradise looks like? I'm sure we could have some pretty lively conversations about what that might look like. But what's important here is God's vision of paradise. Yes, Adam and Eve lived in paradise, meaning they had an intimate and personal relationship with God on a daily basis. But guess what? They had jobs to do. In Genesis, in the creation story, and I'm going to read it here from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth, God created human beings. God created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Adam and Eve were in charge. They had responsibilities in paradise, and it took a lot of work. So biblically, paradise or eternal happiness is not the absence of work, but doing our work in the presence of God. Moses had a job. Some might argue that he didn't do a very good job. He seemed to get lost a lot. In Moses' day, a good navigator could cross the Sinai Desert in about two months. It took Moses 40 years of wandering in the desert. But maybe it took that long because Moses' job was not to navigate geography. But maybe Moses was a navigator of people. Maybe Moses' job had nothing to do with time frame and distances and looking at stars but had everything to do with matters of the human heart. Maybe Moses' job was to build a holy nation. Abraham Abraham and Sarah had jobs. They were the overseers of large herds of animals and a very large extended family. Today in our Old Testament scripture reading, Abraham and Sarah teach us about being honorable and respectful hosts to the stranger. Abraham and Sarah teach us about hospitality. Meeting another person's need for food or shelter was and still is one of the most immediate and practical ways to obey our calling to God. And Jesus was raised by a working man, a carpenter, Joseph. And Jesus would have observed his father in his shop working and most likely worked alongside of him and helped him. He would have learned the skills of a carpenter. 
Yet Jesus had a higher calling. We in the church world call that a mission. For many years, Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church has called itself a missional church. It's a phrase that helps us filter how we interpret our work, our work for this community and beyond. In our New Testament reading today, I think we get the best shot at a mission statement for the work to be done in the kingdom of God for the disciples and for you and me. In the first four verses of Matthew that I read, Matthew shares what I think is this threefold mission of the Messiah, the Christ, and by example, our mission, our job in the world. In, starting in verse 35, it said, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest. According to this, Jesus was on a mission to minister to God's people. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus has a method for his work. He had but one way of doing his ministry. Over and over again, Jesus goes out. He didn't hide behind walls or building or fences or doctrine. He traveled the countryside, going to places no respectable Jew would go. He did not wait for people to come to him. He actively went out looking for people from all walks of life, from the wealthiest to the beggars on the street. Jesus was present, real, and engaged. Jesus went everywhere. There is not a place that he did not go. In the cities and villages, the countryside, in synagogues, on mountaintops, in valleys, by the seashore, in a boat and out of the boat, in a graveyard, in people's homes, and on the street, and in grand palaces. In his brief earthly ministry, there is no place that Jesus did not go to minister to God's people. And Jesus worked. He worked very hard teaching and preaching and healing. Jesus preached. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He brought the glorious message of salvation and redemption to everyone he met. Jesus taught. He rooted and grounded his teaching in God's word. His message was for all who would receive it. Hearing and receiving the good news was not enough. People needed to be taught. And he took time breaking down complicated ideas into simple stories that people could understand. And when they didn't understand him, he didn't humiliate them, but left them with the confidence that the answer would one day be revealed to them. Jesus healed. He met the physical, mental, and emotional needs of those who were hurt and suffering. Many of you might listen to me and say, well, I can maybe preach and I can maybe teach a lesson or two, but it is only Jesus that can heal but let me tell you, the Holy Spirit working through ordinary men and women like you and me, by the power of that Holy Spirit, fill, do miracles and fill miracles every day. 
How often have you heard this? If it wasn't for this church, I would be lost. If it had not been for Bob or Bill or Sally or Judy, you fill in the name, I would not have made it. That's the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence is so important. When we are present in everyday situations with people in need, that might just be our greatest opportunity for us to share God's abundant love and offer healing of mind, body, and spirit. Jesus was also on a mission of compassion. Verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word that we translate compassion means a feeling from the gut, a feeling from the inside. Jesus, down to his very core, felt compassion for God's people. Jesus saw the multitudes. He saw those following him, those that were in those villages and cities and in the countryside and on the synagogues and the mountains, the seashores, the graveyards, and in their homes. And he was moved with compassion. He was moved over their physical needs. He was moved over their hunger and pain and suffering. He was moved over their spiritual needs, their being lost and dead to God, their emptiness and loneliness and bewilderment, their having no purpose, no meaning or significance in their life. He saw them all. He observed and studied them. No one escapes the eye or the heart of Jesus. And Jesus wants to call people to his vision, to God's vision of the world. In verse 37 and 38, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers in the harvest. When Jesus tells the disciples to pray that the Lord will send out laborers into the harvest, the disciples become the answer to their own prayers. They are the ones they are praying for, reminding us that we might be the answer to our own prayers. The disciples become the laborers in the harvest, but before they are called apostles, meaning sent out, they are summoned by Jesus and given authority. When we are truly doing God's work, we have the authority of Jesus to perform it. Those apostles are imperfect, including betrayers and zealots, yet they are called and commissioned by the compassionate one to do service in the world. The Lord of the harvest empowers them and equips them for what God will, God's will should be done. The authority the disciples have is the authority of Jesus. Thus, Jesus is the one meeting the needs of the people through his disciples. We do not meet, meet needs. God does. God does not leave the church alone in her mission to the world, but equips the saints for ministry in the world. We do not send ourselves out. The Lord of the harvest sends us out on a mission. For us, it might be a project of the church in Haiti or Honduras, Habitat for Humanity, Meals on Wheels, Bridge Builders, Vacation Bible School, Sunday School Leadership, Youth Leadership, or Sharing Your Musical Talents like the AGs have today. 
The list could go on and on and all the things this church does and is doing. My point is that all of this, all that we do in the name of the church is holy work. So I hope by now you understand the mission that we are called to do. We are called to do ministry as we work, to do God's work for God's people. We are to proclaim the gospel, to let our everyday lives be a living example of God's calling. We need to show compassion. If there was ever a time in my life that the world needed an extra serving of compassion, it is today. It's very easy for us to see problems of the world, problems in our church, and problems in our personal life, and we just throw up our hands and say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, let me tell you, you and I can do anything, for we have a creator of the universe behind us. There is not a place on earth or a situation in our lives that can go, that we can go into, that God has not already been there. And God will still be there long after we are gone. We are called out and sent out with the authority of Jesus. And we are to call people to God's vision of the world. Now, sometimes we can conveniently mix up our vision and God's vision because God's vision sometimes seems too difficult for us to follow. But when we're truly spending time in prayer, when we're spending time in our Bible and our Bible study, when we're using our gifts and our talents to engage the world and not be of the world, we cannot help but be a part of God's vision for the world. The harvest is the Lord's. God knows the harvest. God knows every stem and every blade. God knows everyone, everybody, mind, act, thought, need, provision. God knows our hearts. And just what, me, what must be done to harvest the field in the most efficient way. The Lord of the harvest has a job for us to do. And whether it's our first job or a job that we've done a thousand times before, God waits patiently for us to join in the fields, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.